You are listening to the I Am God's Beloved podcast, hosted by Susan Quinnell and Kim Decker. Scripture tells us that we are God's beloved children, that God sees us, that God delights in us. We long to know those who we worship alongside deeper so that we might better understand the breadth of God's love and the expansiveness of God's kingdom. Please join us as we hear the diverse and powerful personal stories of some of God's beloved children. Before we get into the interviews, Susan and I want to share a little about why we wanted to have these conversations in podcast form. For starters, I love the podcast format, and given that we aren't able to connect in person as easily these days, I saw this format as a way to connect with members of our church in a deeper way. I've always loved hearing from women at Women in Touch and at various retreats, and this seemed like another way to dig deeper and learn more from different people. While God was setting and stirring that desire in Kim, I was looking for a way in which the BIPOC voices in our body could be heard. I hoped to relay God's good news of love for each and every one of us as beloved children of God. Scripture communicates God's magnificent creation in each of us. God sees us. God hears us. As we know ourselves and one another more fully as children of God, and we become acquainted, develop, and share relationships with our brothers and sisters, in Christ, within Jesus' love, we have the potential to move towards unity in God's kingdom. So we reached out to folks with our vision. We asked people to pray and consider whether involvement with this project would be life-giving or would be life-draining. We want to honor people with this space, not harm them. Listeners may recall that we had the pleasure of hearing a sermon from Oshetta Moore this summer. Recently on her Instagram, she posted the following. Dear white peacemakers, this is our work together, white peacemaker, to reclaim humanity for both of us and create a counterculture that actively exposes and resists the violence of white supremacy culture. Asking us to share our traumatic race stories on panels and podcasts for articles and commentary in small groups or in coffee dates sometimes feels like you're robbing us of our liberation. Pastor Moore then offered some suggestions about how to best help our BIPOC brothers and sisters. In this instance, it was during the verdict of the trial of Derek Chauvin. And she added, please, please, please practice Christ-like love and do everything you can to protect and preserve the belovedness of your black and brown leaders. This could be one of the most profound witnesses you offer in this moment. Our intention with this podcast is indeed to protect and preserve the belovedness of our brothers and sisters. We respect and dearly love those who have declined to share and those who are not ready to do so. For those who want their voices heard, we pray that this will be a space that God can use for our collective growth and unity. And one final note, (laughs) we ask that you use discretion with younger listeners as some of the stories may be better suited for mature audiences. Without further ado. Listener, you're about to hear from my friend and brother in Christ, Robert Perez. If you don't know Robert by name, then let me help. 
Just picture the best-dressed man at church who sits up in the center front row. He worships with fervor and heart. He greets people as if he's known them his whole life. I'm grateful for Robert's willingness to share some really hard and personal things from his life. Some things may be unsettling to hear, but I believe that Robert's vulnerability and honesty will encourage us to listen more and assume less. Robert, tell me about you. How have you become who you are today? I've become who I am today because of being born again. I've always had God, but I've always wanted to do things my way. But I was raised to be tough and, you know, man, stand up. You're Hispanic, stand up for your rights or whatever, you know. I was raised with six siblings and me, my parents, and I was the black sheep, the middle one of the family. They, uh, I saw a lot. Uh, my dad beat my mom a lot. They were alcoholics. Uh. Was there a particular experience that made you aware of race in your life? When I was young, I remember fifth grade. We're learning Hispanish my, at the kitchen table. I'm Hispanic learning. All of a sudden, we're going to school, and school's telling us that we can't speak Spanish in school. And half of the school is Spanish. It's uh, black and Spanish, very little white. And you're raised around nothing but Hispanics. You're just used to that kind of neighborhood or black neighborhood because we lived right across the street from black people. I mean, black, the hood and the barrio. <laughs> but my dad always said, you know, they're the enemy. You know, we stay with this color. You know, I was raised strict from a military father. He was in the Army, Korean War. Very strict, uh, very hypocritical. I didn't have a lot of leadership in my dad, but I saw a lot of corruption against blacks, against whites. My dad worked for the man. <laughs> you know, that's what everybody said, so. Where did you grow up again? Was this Texas? Antonio, Texas. Uh, we got a lot of stuff. We got actually kicked out of Houston, Texas. Uh, because uh, a, a, a family feud we had with a black family uh, over a basketball game. And uh, from there it went to uh, my brother's almost going to prison, my dad getting stabbed. Uh, big, I mean, it was bad going to school. My brother got his teeth knocked out. Uh, the cops had to escort us out of Houston because of the deal for my dad and his buddies. It was like Mexicans against, against the blacks. Uh, and in them days, it wasn't the blacks, it was the N-word. That was normal. When they called us wetbacks, so we called them the N-word. You know? What brought you to Minnesota? Uh, my ex-wife and my children. I was in a furniture business uh, for 30 years. Robert, how has it been living in Minnesota and being in an interracial relationship? My wife's never been out of Minnesota. She don't know, but when I tell her things, and we go up to Duluth, with my little white family, and people are looking like, oh my God, go to God. Really? And these are older people, and but the older they are, the more racist they are, because that was the way they were raised. They were like, ah, that's normal. I want I can't see it from your eyes, you're white. I could imagine, but I said, and my wife like, oh, I never thought about it. My kids and my, my daughter, you know, it's, she goes, wow, I'm sorry. No, don't be sorry. I'm glad you finally caught it. Because people don't open their mouths, open their eyes, mm-hmm. and say something, it's never going to change. Yeah. You know, uh, I love Emmaus because Emmaus accepted me. Uh, I believe the Lord brought me here. 
here I am today uh, wanting to speak more, to talk more, uh, just to let people know that it's, I don't think it's ever going to change. Racism's going to be there all the time. I don't think it's ever. People, even in the congregation, still, I think, still have that in the back of their head. I've been through uh, PTSD, all this stuff in the Marine Corps uh, in my past with traumas, things that I've been through, and it's way back there. It's, it happens, you know, probation, food stamps everywhere uh, have to do with uh, uh, leadership. You're looked down on one way or the other. People I, I work with. Telling all their little racial jokes, and I'm just like, well, come here, I ain't up. How come, hey, you know, come hang by himself? I don't want to hear that. Then I say something, and no, hey, I don't, I don't care what you think. You know, you know you're wrong. You know, you know whatever. Uh, either, and you lose your friends. You know, <laughs> here I am, uh, uh, getting back on my feet again. Uh, and, and even with my accident. It was at the hospital. It was workman's comp. They kept me out because I think because I was Hispanic and I complained. Well, you're the only one that's complaining. Nobody else complains. Well, I'm sorry. Maybe everybody else has money and stuff, but I don't. I'm living paycheck by paycheck. So, uh, trying to find a job for somebody that has messed up in their past uh, because of my past with my son that bought me here. And you know, we're just trying to protect them. Tell them, hey, you gotta watch out what you say. Mm-hmm. You know what you're doing. Oh, really? Yeah, well, just because you're with these group of people, it's okay. Mm-hmm. But when you go out to Minneapolis and talk like that, it's a different story. Oh yeah, right. Okay, okay. You know, all I can do is tell you. Unless you've been there, you don't know. Did you grow up with church experience? Was yes. it a cultural thing at first? I followed my mom. My mom was real quiet. She had a shrine. Jesus everywhere. She had a, my brothers were in the military. She had a candle lit for them every day. And they came for them to come home safe. They did. Um, me. And I would always see my mom, no matter what went down, she had her own peace time. And like, oh, don't mess my, which was, uh, not under, I didn't understand what she was doing, but left her alone. She was Catholic. My dad was Methodist. In San Antonio, and uh, it's Hispanic uh, culture there. They, uh, my dad's church spoke Spanish, and my mom's church spoke English. Mm-hmm. We all liked my dad's and my mom's church because we were listening to what's going on. Again, if you're a Catholic, it's a different type of uh, church uh, deals, I guess. Uh, like here, I do the cross a lot. I say, how can you do the cross? Well, that's me. I was raised this way. I'm still going to do it no matter where I go or what I do. My dad, hey, you go to your mom's church, you're going to go to mine. Really? It was like, now that I see life, you know, when you grow up, you're like, why did my dad act that way? Really? So now we got to go to, forced to go to a Methodist church, but we don't understand a single word because when I was four years old, they said, you can't speak Spanish. So my dad said, well, I can't teach you Spanish no more, so we never spoke it in the house no more. So my, my three older siblings, are they know Spanish with me. I know half and half because they quit half with me, and then my three younger siblings don't know it at all. What do you do? Pray to the Lord, give it to God. Thinking about the events of the past year, and particularly the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, how does that hit you? I try to be uh, uh, going through the church way. You know, I try to think the right thing. And, you know, the first thing that came to my mind was, well, like, Big guy, poor cops, 
you had witnesses when they showed it on TV over and over and over. And it was just, I was mad at everybody. And you see people in the background, you see, nobody, hey, you hear them saying stuff, but nobody, at, oh, that really, really, really upset me. Because I don't care what color you are or what it is, you're going to help that person. Robert, how has your faith been challenged by these experiences? Or how has your faith supported you through them? I, I thought, I try to put my perspective in any, every, every situation in that. I, I work for a moving company where I stop at a store, a red light or something, and you see the guys with a sign. And all these other guys are saying, ah, get a job, huh? You don't know that guy's story. So I'll say, whatever change. Are you stupid? Oh man, you know, you're stupid. You're gonna give me money, give them to me. I you know, I go buy another beer or something. I was just guy like, you know, shut up. Just mind your own business. You know, you don't know what that guy's been through. Because I've lived on the streets. You know, I was raised racist. But I didn't understand it. I didn't know where it came from until I started seeing as I started. But again, back in the day it was it was it was swept under the table. You know, you have to have your faith. And without your faith, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I don't know where to start, but I, I could I could speak forever because I wanted to do it my way, and I knew the right way. But I said, nah, get away with it. No, he's watching all the time, you know. And it's been proven, you know. And I and until you see the light, it's just like being an alcoholic or a drug addict, you're not gonna believe it. You know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. My my son got me involved to come back because my son saw my anger when I came home uh, from work, thinking I was uh, hiding it, but I wasn't. I was bringing it home to work. And my son is the one that told me, ever tired of talking to God? And I'm looking at my, my, I was like E.F. Hutton. Everybody shut it up. Oh my God, Angela, talk back to Dad. First came to this church, I, well, I had to find a church. I church, I, I, I searched a lot of places. And I found this church. And when I first got here, I, Wow, you're seeing the back of heads of everybody, and you don't see no afros, you don't see no grease, yeah. <laughs> whatever. You know, I'm you know, Robert Emmaus is a predominantly white congregation. How can we do better? What are our blind spots? How can we make sure that we're caring for and journeying with people of all races in our congregation? I don't know. The things I've had are personal. Mm-hmm. I've always been welcome. I've I've been helped. I've been, you know, I've come to uh, to get advice all the time of marriage, mm-hmm. children, life in general. I've been helped, uh, been uh, uh, invited places, things like that, which a lot of places I've never have. Mm-hmm. It, it's not the church. It's just a, just a few people. Mm-hmm. They just get to watch their mouth or watch what they say around. Make sure that there's. Uh, Hispanics out on the other side of the pew. <laughs> you know, that's all right. I don't care. It didn't hurt me. But it's the purpose of the matter. Yeah. Really? Under the house of God? Mm. You're going to say something like that to somebody else? Hey, hey uh, I've seen myself do it. Not in church, but I've seen it. And, and let me tell you, uh, ever since I came to him, yes, it's changed my life where, I, oh, Robert, don't even think that. It's like thinking, thinking, don't even think that. So uh, this church is one of the greatest things I've, like I said, you preach it right. Uh, again, it's in the people. Uh, you can't help 
certain people. I mean, you can't, that's the way they are. That's what they do. But when I've asked for, in my experience, trying to ask for help here, I've got it. I've gotten it really good. It's it's hard to open up to people here yeah. because, again, I tried already and it, like I scared them. I said, Wait a minute, you asked me and I'm trying to tell you, but I can't, I, I can't make you understand unless I tell you it this way because I'm not going to come around this way. Yeah. Uh, it uh, the word great. Yeah. I understand uh, now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and people kind of push me here. Uh, and, and I like that. Thanks for your time, Robert. We're so thankful for your honesty and your willingness to share. Thanks for listening to the I Am God's Beloved podcast. Special thanks to Emmaus Church in Northfield for supporting this project. We hope you will join us again next time.